evil show along with ideas for devil's backbone on west main street give the show a like and a share hit the like button if you could johnny ornalis in montreal hello bill mcchesney mayor of mcintyre hello j-dubs i'm ready to rock and roll when you are quiet on the set Good Monday afternoon, guys. I'm Jerry Miller. Welcome to the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us live in downtown Charlottesville in the Macklin building. Our audience is every social media platform known to mankind. And today's show is presented by Scott Wagner of Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine. Dr. Wagner has your back. Scott Wagner, his integrated practice changing people's lives. Today's show is loaded like Mondays often are. There was a story that ran... um, in the Friday, Saturday edition of the Daily Progress, depending on how you get your news, whether the print edition or the online edition, the news is published earlier online. That's how I get my content from the Daily Progress digitally. I know a lot of folks get their content from the Daily Progress in the print version. Those stories often delayed until the newspapers delivered to your driveway. But there was a story that was published Friday, Saturday that's flying under the radar that I have to talk about. There, there, there's a student at Amaral High School that got popped by teachers and admins and later the police for an anti-Semitic message, anti-Semitic and homophobic message, vandalism at school grounds at Almaro High School. Long story short, this student later was found to have a knife on school grounds at Almaro High School. It leads me to ask a lot of questions, okay? Questions like, should all parents at Albemarle County Public Schools be notified if a student has a weapon on grounds, even if the parents are not part of that school? Okay, I would think at bare minimum, all parents should be notified anytime there's a weapon at that respective school. That was done. The question I have is, should all parents for all schools at Albemarle County Public Schools receive a notification from someone at ACPS that this happened? The next thing that's particularly most concerning to me was at the end of this Daily Progress article, and the headline of the article is this, Albemarle High students suspected of vandalism charged with carrying a weapon on campus. It was printed on March 31st. A lot of people did not get this news until April 1. April 1, which was a Saturday, and maybe it got lost in the shuffle. The Saturday newspaper is often the least read one. Because folks just have so much going on. In this article, in this article, which you can find online, the ACPS spokesperson who we've, we kid because we care. We rib him a little bit. We call him Philly G, two-shot Judah Wickhauer, the, how you would pronounce his last name in your opinion? Uh, Jaramita. Okay, you're right. I'm going to call Philly, Philly G. That's the exact uh, pronunciation of his last name. This is what worried me. I don't know about you, Judah. The, the, the school spokesman says this isn't the first time this has happened. He says he thinks this has happened less than 10 times division-wide that a student has been found with a weapon on campus. He says we follow up on those incidents. Thank you for following up on those incidents. He says, sometimes the report of a weapon on a student's person doesn't amount to anything 
Other times, the student is unaware that they have a weapon on them. That confuses the hell out of me. That doesn't confuse me. How you're un unaware that you have a weapon on you? You're unaware that you have a weapon on you at school. Okay? You have a pocket knife. This is work. I have a pocket knife. Work and school are different. It's Having a fair. knife on your person at school and not being aware of it is the definition of what? I don't know if there's a definition. Moronic? <laughs> You're going to say it's absent-mindedness? People go to the airport absent-minded, go through checkout, and, and have a knife on them? Yeah. Okay, I, I have a hard time giving folks the benefit of the doubt in that scenario. A student goes to school with a weapon on them and is unaware of it? We're not necessarily talking about, like, putting a gun in your pocket. It could, I, I'd say a knife it, is concerning to bring to school. I know, but it could be something as simple as, like, a Swiss Army knife. Yes, in, in that's one, fair. In one of the pockets of your backpack that was in there from the weekend when you were out, uh, you know, out camping with your with your friend i had parents reach out to me about western Almoral high school a little bit ago a student brought a gun to western Almoral high school and showed other kids it got to the point where police officers were having to visit the homes of the students who saw the gun at western Almoral high school okay okay so the school spoke spokesperson, Philly G, said this year alone, less than 10 division-wide of incidents of weapons on school grounds. Philly G straight up says that to the newspaper. He says, the report of a weapon on student's person doesn't amount to nothing sometimes. Other times the student is unaware. I have very little latitude or patience for a student who's unaware of having a weapon on their person. And then Philly G says, there are a couple of rare instances like this one where, in fact, a student does have a weapon on their person. This is Almoral High School, yet again at Almoral. This time with potentially taking a knife. We know this, person, this student had a knife on them. They were charged with having a weapon on their person at school. We think, if we're reading through the details, that the homophobic, anti-Semitic message was potentially uh, with a knife dug into some kind of surface, scratched or etched into some kind of surface. I got a lot of questions. Here are the questions that I have for you, Judah. Here are the questions that I have for you, viewers and listeners, okay? Do we think, do we feel, do we ask, do we insist, do we demand as parents, anytime there's a weapon on any kind of campus, that we get notified even if our kids do not go to that school. Is that asking too much? If I have a middle school student and there's a weapon at a high school where my kid is on track to matriculate through and into, I'd want to know that there was a weapon at that school, at that campus, at that high school. I'd want to know if my kid was in elementary school and he was matriculating to a high school years from now that there was a weapon on grounds, on campus, at that particular school. Not being a parent, that's a little harder for me to answer. Uh, uh, but I, I, I think it would be good if they, if they notified parents. I don't know that it needs to be done like 
the moment they find the weapon. Like, if they got this guy, if they check in his bags or his pockets and they find a knife, I mean, I don't know that there's any reason to terrify parents uh, by sending out some, uh, you know, some news flash that there was a kid with a weapon. How do you feel, viewers and listeners? Vanessa Parkhill says this, Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts used to carry a pocket knife often. Always be prepared. Maybe the Eagle Scout doesn't see it as a weapon, rather as a tool. Totally get that. I, I also, and I respect that comment, I also hope the Eagle Scout has the judgment because he is an Eagle Scout not to bring the knife to school. Yeah, but... like It's, it's a judgment call. It's a judgment call. It's a it's, judgment call if they know it's in their pocket or in, uh, in their backpack. If they don't know it's in there. Parents, are you okay with that? That it, we, we give the benefit of the doubt because they're unaware that there's a knife in their backpack? I think they already do give them the benefit of the doubt. But it's on a case-by-case basis. I, 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 that's the key, is a case-by-case basis. And that leaves a lot of circumstances up to subjectivity. Yeah, and subjectivity when it comes to weapons at school makes me really, really nervous. Really, 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 really nervous. Maria Marshall Barnes is watching the program. She's been commenting often on our show. She says, yes, I think ACPS should release information with reassurances. I mean, worst case scenario, the messaging should be this through Philly G. So-and-so, you don't release the name, they're minors. We found a weapon at school. We figured it out early. We got the weapon off campus, and the student is now being dealt with by the authorities. Because that would breed confidence amongst parents and teachers and admins. Good Lord, are you guys following the Newport News story? Who's following the Newport News story here with the teacher who got shot by the the six-year-old? Anyone following that? You know that teacher who's got ties to Greene County? The teacher in Newport News who was shot by a six-year-old, a first grader, she got shot in the hand, literally put her hand up to protect herself from a bullet. Because she put her hand up, the bullet went through her hand for protection like I'm doing on screen right now, and then it went into her body. If she had not put her hand up, a lot of folks said she would have died, medical professionals. She's suing Newport News public schools for $40 million right now. She's seeking $40 million. She's saying how this circumstance was handled was piss poor, and she's exactly right. She's going to get paid. Since this incident happened earlier this year in January, the superintendent of the Newport News Public School System has quit. The principal where the shooting happened has quit, and the vice principal where the shooting happened has quit. People are running away from culpability and accountability and legal exposure right now. They are sprinting. It reminded me of the weeks before Brackney firing and lawsuit. The weeks before Brackney's firing and lawsuit, a number of people at City Hall in upper management resigned or pursued other um, professional opportunities. Chip Boyles, friend of the program John Blair, spokesman (coughs) Brian Wheeler, all hit the road jack and got out of City Hall. During all that Brackney brouhaha. It amounted to nothing. The one in Newport News is going to amount to something. She's going to get paid. 
because the principal's office was told by a number of uh, a number of different times. I believe it was three that day that this youngster had a gun on him. Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Maria Marshall Barnes, I agree. Thank you for your comment. I'm responding to yours right now. You know, so much of this is messaging. It's messaging. It's managing perception. Janice Boyce Trevilian, they are frustrated that their hands are so tied with discipline. Uh, Maria Marshall Barnes says, my kids used to go to Almoral High School with hunting rifles mounted in truck, or not her kids. Kids used to go to Almoral High School with hunting, hunting rifles mounted in trucks. I don't think that's okay. Your kids are the quickest ones to relay school issues, never school. So sad it was reported that student had issues. It was ignored. She's talking about the Newport News one. Oh, man. I think the entire, the parents in the entire school system should be notified. Because it makes everyone nervous. What do you mean it makes everyone nervous? You, you, you hear this report in the Daily Progress. Right, and nobody's told you. Yeah. This is what people have read in the Daily Progress or most likely probably heard on this talk show. Anti-Semitic, homophobic vandalism. Yeah. First thing. Second thing, student weapon at Morrow High School. Third thing, school spokesman Philly G. This has happened roughly 10 times this year across the entire division. That's what people take from this article. It, it gets you back to this, okay? This is the age-old question. Viewers and listeners, this will ruffle some feathers here. You know what would prevent the knife from being in the backpack and being utilized as the anti-Semitic, homophobic, vandalistic tool? You know what would also prevent students who are unaware that they have weapons on their person? Are uh, you talking about uh, a metal detector? Okay, okay. What solves the unaware problem? Metal detectors. What solves the knife in the backpack that's utilized for anti-Semitic, homophobic, vandalism? Metal detector. What would have kept a first grader from smuggling or hiding a gun into a Newport News elementary school? How the hell a first grader got a gun into an elementary school? I don't even know. Metal detector. You utilize the word metal detector, though, and you're, you're framed as the Gestapo. You utilize the word metal detector and you're, you're, you're depicted as the, uh, the school to pipeline prison evangelist. Well, there is a question of how do you pay for that? Are you, I mean, are you talking about uh, metal detectors at every entrance of every elementary school, every middle school, every high school? That's well, let a, me ask the parents. That's let me ask of, the parents. That's a lot of money. My wife... And my father-in-law, we're talking about this over the weekend. And my wife and my father-in-law, they both said, bring them on. The only ones that are going to get in trouble with the metal detectors are the ones looking to do something wrong. You can make a legitimate argument that the metal detector may have a greater immediate impact than one school resource officer. Almoral County is budgeting one school resource officer for all its schools. 
one school resource officer for all its schools or metal detectors at the entrances of the schools? What has a more impactful, what is the more impactful strategy? You can make a legitimate argument, it would be the metal detector. But you start using metal detector at public schools and people, especially in this community, start hurling names at you. Moms and dads watching this program, you got beef with a metal detector at your school? Would you care if they installed a metal detector at the entrance of your school? Moms and dads watching this program, would you care? Would you care? I don't have kids. I think there's more of a, I think there, I think there's more of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, money and time sink than you, than you realize with something like that. Because not only, not only do you have to pay for the, uh, for the metal detectors, but you've got to have somebody that's at an entrance who can search through a kid's pockets and bags anytime they come in and the detector goes off. I mean, that's You're saying it's going to cause more problems. I'm saying I don't. I don't know how you. I don't know how you get through the logistics of not only paying for and installing metal detectors in every single school, but then also hiring someone who can uh, get to that's any, fair feedback. Any entrance that I mean. No, it would be They're at the main be, entrance. So just the main entrance. Yeah. All right. Well, so that's one person, but yeah. that's still one person for every metal detector. It would be and just any, the main entrance. Anytime kids go in and out, they're you're going to have false positives. Maria Marshall Barnes says it's done at the University of Virginia emergency room. Okay. She goes, it's done at UVA emergency room. If it's done at UVA ER, why isn't it done at public schools? I mean, I think it's the logistics problem of it. It's paying for all of it, and then it's having somebody that can actually, that has the authority to stop any student that comes through and sets off the detector. Juan Sarmiento says, I'm good with the metal detectors. Train a teacher or admin and assign like bus duty. There you go. Bob Yarborough says, where does that end though, Jerry? Metal detectors everywhere. We moved here from Mississippi years ago in part because his daughter, Sam, was about to start a middle school with metal detectors. Juan Sarmiento says if they can afford a security guard, they can afford metal detectors. What would solve students being unaware of having a weapon on them? Are we most likely to have an admin or an SRO search all students that are unaware that they have a weapon on them or have that unaware weapon be caught by a metal detector? But they're not really the ones that are the problems, are they? No, the unaware students are not the ones that are the problem at all. But having a weapon on you and being unaware is still a problem. They may not be causing the problem, but it's still a problem. It's still a problem. Are, are we not at this point? And, and, and I appreciate your perspective. It's valuable. You're certainly a voice of reason, but you don't have kids. Right. So you don't know what it's like. Yeah. To send your flesh and blood out into the world unprotected without your supervision. That's true. That's a completely different feeling of vulnerability that you don't understand until you have children. Mm-hmm. And I'm not speaking you specifically. I'm talking in general. No, I know. My level of concern, fear, and the sense of vulnerability took a completely different level and went into a different, uh, a different category of um, you know, significance when we had children. Mm-hmm. And my wife is on a completely different level than me. 
And Bob, I, King of Redfield makes a great point. Where does it end, though? Yeah. If the SRO opens up the metal detector conversation, what's after the metal detector conversation? Stop and frisk? Search? Open lockers? Go through backpacks? What's in pockets? Yeah. Okay? I mean, that's... And that's a fair comment. It could go that way. That's a lot to do. It's, it's SRO goes to metal detector. Metal detector, does that go to stop and frisk? Does stop and frisk go to search backpacks and lockers? Does search backpack and lockers go what's in your pockets on your person? Because when you start getting to that level, you could see why some folks, and Bob's making that point, would be like, hey, 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 this is a violation of personal space and personal freedoms and rights. Yeah. But, I mean, what are you going to do? Two and a half hours from here, we saw a six-year-old sneak a gun into a school and shoot a teacher. Yeah. We saw a six-year-old take a gun from his wife, excuse me, from his mother, a gun that was legally purchased from his mother. He took the gun from his mom without his mom even knowing. He then took that gun from house, from the home, and somehow put it either in his backpack or on his physical person, mm-hmm. walked from his house into the car, from the car into school, and no one did a damn thing about it. What would have caught that gun as the six-year-old was entering school? Metal detector certainly would have. Yep, metal detector. And now someone from Greene County, a teacher at Newport News, a first-grade teacher, wouldn't be suing Newport News Public Schools for $40 million and wouldn't have scars all over her body. What do you think, viewers and listeners? Bob, I, I appreciate that comment 100%, Bob. I really do, Bob Yarbrough. All right. Do you think all parents should be notified across the entire division that there yeah. was a weapon at one particular school? I think, it's, I think the transparency would be, uh, would be good. It would definitely be welcomed by parents. I don't know that it needs to be a, you know, like... The alternative uh, is the rumor mill and social media viral. It doesn't need to be an, an immediate news flash. Fair. I mean, because we've seen the mismanagement of a number of circumstances in this particular school system. Yeah. Where the narrative or where the speculation or where the rumor mill took the story and amplified it significantly because the perception of that story wasn't managed correctly. Yeah. It gets away from them because they never bothered to address it. Bingo. And that's the business you, are, you and I are in, the brand management business. Give the show a like and a share. Join us for the conversation. Lisa Costello, hello. Bill McChesney, hello. Tom, Tom uh, Stargell, hello. Welcome to the program. Lonnie Murray, hello, and welcome to the show. Thank you kindly for watching today. All right, on Friday's program, and Deep Throat, we'll get to your comment here. Dylan's Rule on Twitter, welcome to the, to the program. All right, let's go to Deep Throat's comment here. I would hate to have to go to school, and it's like a TSA checkpoint. Would honors kids get TSA pre-check like privilege, or would that set the equity maniacs off? Who knows who the problem kids are just like we know, or excuse me, he says, we know who the problem kids are just like we know who is likely to be shooting around town, but we will never operationalize that knowledge because, because of equity. Would we even... 
punish violators given the likely demographic profiles? Those are good points. I think we would punish violators <laughs> giving demographic profiles, but I think the point he made of knowing who the problem kids are and utilizing strategies to educate school, monitor, I hate to use the word police, but supervise these problem kids, those strategies are not being utilized or implemented because of equity. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Because that becomes then what? It becomes profiling. And once that strategy starts getting utilized, then everyone starts getting emotional. Fair? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, we've talked about uh, profiling, and um, I, think a lot of, I think a lot of people call things that... Uh, I, think, I think profiling... Is misrepresented? Gets... It gets fit over a larger. It's an de- umbrella. A larger definition than it actually encompasses. Uh, there's That's com- fair. There's common sense, and there's uh, you know there's just knowledge. Uh, you know, a teacher or a or an administrator at a school does have some knowledge of the students that go there, and yeah, you don't need to. You don't need to. Frisk, most of the ninety nine point nine percent. Yeah, most of the honor students, uh, probably a lot of the kids, but there are certain kids that the teachers and administrators would know that uh, you know this is a kid that probably needs to be checked once in a while. John Blair, welcome to the show. Viewers and listeners, your thoughts. Vanessa Parkhill, the queen of Earliesville, says, my high school used to have surprise locker checks and would occasionally bring the drug dog through. For context, the demographics at my school were probably similar to Western Admiral High School. Just like periodic room checks in college dorms, I think this is okay. I have no problem with it. I was at the University of Virginia, first year, Dabney 101. The resident advisor, his name was Tom, would routinely walk through the Dabney dorm to see if kids were boozing, and at that time, smoking weed. It was the routine and the reg. And the drug dog coming through school and sniffing lockers, as much about perception management and a scare tactic as it is finding drugs on school. It's all the above. We're at a point where a six-year-old is shooting a teacher. It is an edge case. You're saying it's an anomaly. Yeah, I'm saying... Tell that to the Green County family... I, I mean, you who's can... Who's suing the school for $40 million. Yeah. And they're going to say... You, I, how do you think they're going to respond to you calling their daughter getting shot an anomaly? Probably not favorably. I, I'm not sure why they would take offense. It's true. How many six-year-olds have... How many six-year-olds were the school system and, and, and the, the victim's colleagues went to the principal's office on three occasions and said a six-year-old's got a gun on his person, do something about it, and the principal's office didn't do anything? Now, to your point, that has nothing to do with the, uh, the anomaly nature of what happened. Oh, you're making it even more of an anomaly. 
You're making my point. Because, because the admins did nothing, it's more of an anomaly. I, I give you that. I mean, you would hope this is not every school. Dear God, please. I mean, from start to finish, the entire thing is an, an anomaly. From, yes. From start to finish, one of the most poorly handled circumstances of a school shooting that you could have been way, way worse. Way, way worse. Yeah. Because it could have involved more people. Mm-hmm. And Frank and, and 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 you know, praise God, no one died. Yeah. Interestingly, neither the six year old six year old nor the mother of the six year old have been charged. Hmm. Which that's a topic for a different day. Not charging the mom. I find it irritating, flabbergasting, precedent setting. Not charging the mom. All right, on Friday's program, we mentioned this. We mentioned that um, we didn't want to steal her thunder, we said, Judah. Why don't you go to nat4seville.com, N-A-T, the number four, C-V-I-L-L-E. If you put on a one-shot for me, you highlight some of her platform points, if you can, um, from topics, uh, on the topics page. On Friday's show... We mentioned to you that a female was going to run for city council. We were the first to let you know this. We didn't want to let the cat out of the bag. We didn't want to steal her thunder. She, after Friday's show, heard wind that we were talking about this, although she realized we didn't mention her name. She later, later uh, put up her website. The website is nat4seville.com. Nat, the number four, seville.com. How, would you, how do you think you pronounce her last name? You want to give that one a whirl? Um, I would say Oshirin. Or Osh. What are you going to go with? I trust uh, your judgment I'd say on this. Either, I'd say either Oshirin or Oshirin. I thought it was Oshirin. Oshirin. Ah, you, you thought it was that one? I thought it could be that way too. Oshirin or Oshirin? I mean, I honestly don't I think know. it's Oshirin, but... I'll ask her that question if she comes on the program. Um, we have a candidate. Let's call her Natalie Oshrin. You're going to highlight some talking points that, that appeal to you if you could, Judah Wickhauer. Um, we have a female candidate. She's young. I don't want to venture her age because I don't want to be wrong on this. Um, but she went to Charlottesville High School. She is... Uh, um, she said she grew up in Mead Park. She said she spent her childhood in the Mead Park neighborhood attending what is now Blue Mountain Elementary. Go Bobcats. She played t-ball in Mead Park. She horsed around with her parents and her brother. She played soccer and swam in summer leagues around the area, volunteered at Martha Jefferson Hospital, and scooped ice cream for years on the downtown mall. She went to Charlottesville High School. She participated in orchestra, track, theater, uh, she volunteered with the Young Liberals of Central Virginia. <laughs> she did that early, Charlottesville High School. The Young Liberals of Central Virginia. Uh, then she went on to UVA for undergraduate school, where she studied history, American studies, and art. She graduated in 2011. So she's approximately, I'd say, 33, 34 years old here. She's 33, 34. She got a master's degree in tourism and hospitality from the University of South Carolina, and she came back to Charlottesville in 2016. This is a legit candidate. Bob Fenwick is also um, 
I've been told Deep Throat gave me this intel. Deep Throat, I appreciate you. Um, Deep Throat says that Bobby Fenwick um, has the signatures and he's going to be on the ballot. So this race just got more competitive. On Friday, we had Michael Payne and Lloyd Snook. And on Friday's Real Talk with Keith Smith, we had Michael Payne, Lloyd Snook, and Deshaun Cooper. Three people for three spots. Now we have five people for three spots. With Natalie Oshrin and official Bob Fenwick, although he'd been rumored for a while to be in the mix. What strikes you from this website that appeals to you? Or what strikes you from this website that disappoints you or concerns you? J-Dubs. Well, just on a quick glance through the topics, I would say that uh, I think uh, she has a good grasp of some of the issues, uh, the issues that I've seen her addressing here. Uh, that she's got a good grasp of what's going on and seems to have uh, rather pointed ideas about uh, how she would deal with them. So I appreciate that. Her There's, talking it, I don't, points. I don't see a whole lot of like generalities and like, oh, housing is horrible and we need to fix it. And, okay, that's great, but um, how do you want to do that? She seems seems to have some ideas. She talks about housing affordability. She talks about transportation and making transportation for walkers and bikers improved. She talks about the town and gown relationship of UVA and the city of Charlottesville and how it's becoming the city of UVA and how you got to manage that. And she talks about community safety, which is basically gun violence. This got me thinking, what do you think are the most important criteria for the 2023 Charlottesville City Council race, which from right now will be determined by a Democratic primary in June? Right now, the only people running for the three spots on a five-member council are all Democrats, and there's a primary in June that will determine the outcome. What are the most important talking points for this election cycle? Bob Fedwick's in the mix. Natalie Oshrin's in the mix. Deshaun Cooper's in the mix. Uh, Lloyd Snook and Michael Payne running for re-election. What are your, t- what are your talking points? What is the community voting on in Charlottesville, Virginia? Mm, I mean, uh, affordability is definitely going to be part of it. A big part of it, I think. What are your top three in order right now? Uh, April 2nd. Is today the 2nd or the 3rd? April 3rd. Out of curiosity, I trust your judgment. Let me give that some thought. Uh, I'll have to think about that. Uh, Definitely housing affordability. uh, Definitely... Uh, I think uh, some of the other issues that she's that she's talking about, I don't know. Uh, I think the number one talking point right now in the city of Charlottesville is gun violence. Yeah, I think a close second to gun violence is upzoning, and that's mm-hmm. why you're starting to see Lloyd Snook make strategic maneuvers to slightly distance himself from upzoning, including last week's comments where Snook said this has taken on a life of its own. I think what determines three people getting into office, Charlottesville City Council, gun violence, upzoning, top two spots by far. Housing affordability, maybe on that next level. Assessments and taxes, maybe on that next level. People getting irritated and tired with how Charlottesville spending taxpayer dollars, maybe right there on that next level. 
Maybe on the third level, the city manager search. Although Lloyd Snook said on Real Talk with Keith Smith on Friday that the city manager search is going to be done this summer. That was breaking news. He said it's going to be done this summer, before the election cycle. Nice. Interesting to see if it happens before June in the Democratic primary. Another thing that we should be watching closely is will, will an independent jump in the mix? Will we have an independent jump in the mix? Mm-hmm. That has not happened yet. The news you're hearing first from any platform in Central Virginia, Natalie Oshren is running for Charlottesville City Council. I will reach out to her and see if we can get her on the program. I'd love to hear what she's about. I like her strong ties to the area. I like that she has strong ties to the area. What do you make of Bobby Fenwick getting in the mix? Homeworkwithbobfenwick.com. What do you make of that? Uh, Let me take a look. No, you know, Bob's come on the show. What do you make of Bob Fenwick getting in the race? By the time you take a look at a website and offer perspective, the topics are are completely different. I mean... uh, What do you like about Bob? What don't you like about Bob? I need to look at his website to know more about him. Uh, I don't know enough about his platform. Okay. All right. I think Bob Fenwick is getting in the mix because of the upzoning. And Bob Fenwick has got the ear of some influential Charlottesville City residents. And some very influential Charlottesville City residents that are opposed to upzoning are going to go balls to the wall behind Bobby Fenwick. And as they go balls to the wall behind Bobby Fenwick, they're going to try to get him on the dais to see if he can potentially uh, influence this upzoning mumbo-jumbo. Because Lloyd Snook also said on Real Talk with Keith Smith that this upzoning is not going to get to council or going to get approved by council anytime soon. Not anytime soon. To the point he's saying Keith Smith's got this bet on lock. That's what I think is happening. As Fenwick, behind the scenes, is getting pushed into this mix, into this race again, by some very influential local residents who are very opposed to upzoning. And I think Fenwick runs on a platform opposed to it. Curious to see how that plays out. Kim or Kira Brown Lilly watching the program. Kira Brown Lilly, is this your uh, first comment on the show? If so, we appreciate your comments, Kira Brown Lilly. She says, I wonder when people will start to realize maybe Democrats are the problem in the city of Charlottesville. I wouldn't say all Democrats. I would say I'd like to see a little bit more diversity in voter uh, option. Definitely. But you got a guy like Lloyd Snook. For the most part, I think Snook has done a hell of a job. He's much more um, centrist. And she said this is, this is her first comment. Welcome to the, uh, to the legion of uh, commenters. Kyra Brown Lilly. Is it Kira? Kyra Brown Lilly? Welcome to the show. What do you guys think about Bobby Fenwick running again? Bobby Fenwick lost in 2019. Bobby Fenwick is a one-term counselor. Has been on council before. His push, you wait and see, is going to be opposed to upzoning. Lisa Costello says, you want to contemplate and research every angle before offering a stance Judah. Yeah, I would say that's fair, what she's saying of you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I need something to make a... I mean, you've, you've been directed shows where Bob Fenwick has been on multiple times. It's like four years ago. 
you know what yeah. his platform is about. You follow local news. He's, uh, he's run multiple times here. He's been on council. Bob Fenwick is no... It'd be one thing if I was asking Natalie Oshran. She's a rookie. Or Deshaun Cooper. Fenwick has been around the block. Still, I respect the fact that you want to consider everything before offering perspective. I'm totally cool with that. Um, Judah, Judah Wickhauer is a well-thought-out man. That's how I responded to her comment. I would say that's fair. You're a well-thought-out man. Yeah, I mean, I like to... Uh, I like... I like I like information. I like to know that uh, uh, that I've got all the sides of it because I think a lot of a lot of times people <clears throat> people either pick what they uh, what they want the narrative to be and uh, and just run with it, or they you know they pick and choose. They pick through the uh, available information and uh, uh, disregard whatever doesn't fit their narrative, and they run with it. And I'd rather. Uh, well, that's fair. But right now, you've offered no perspective on Bob. I mean, okay. I, so, I, so we're just going to say let's, you're offering nothing on this topic. I can't. Find I mean, just let you know. Anything. You're, you're literally providing no value on Bob Fenwick on this part of the show. I'm not seeing any value on Bob Fenwick on the internet. Where is there anything? homework with BobFenwick.com? Was a good starting point for you, and just being in the know with what his previous campaign was about. He was on council for four years. Bob Fenwick, very much part of the A12 2017 fiasco. Okay. Bob Fenwick has come on this talk show many times, ran for, re- ran for election in 2019. He's going to come at things with a very methodical approach. Okay. The question is, does he have the notoriety and charisma to beat, say, a snook and a pain? And perhaps he does not. I think Fenwick's best opportunity to get on council is if he utilizes upzoning and he says, anyone in Charlottesville, Virginia, if you're opposed to upzoning, I'm going to carry that flag of opposition. And if someone runs with that platform in the city, the flag of opposition to upzoning and density before infrastructure, that person has a legitimate shot of winning. Fair enough. Because I would, I would venture, if, if you call... Charlottesville, Virginia, what, 50,000 people, 10.2 square miles? Obviously, that 50,000 people has a lot of students in it. If you took the students out of Charlottesville, Virginia, how many people are in, uh, this would be Almar, do the students count in the demo and the population of the city? Hmm. They've got to, right? Even though UVA is in Almora County, for the most part, the students that live off grounds live in the city. So they've got to count the city population. If you take the students who are not going to vote in the Democratic primary off the city population, what are you left with? A city population of what? 35,000 people? I'm looking at something that says there are 39,896 adults in Charlottesville. Okay, so I said 35, there's 39, so pretty damn close right there. I would say there's 39,000. Why don't we round it to an even 40? I would have bet you over half of those 40,000 people that are voters are opposed to upzoning. Deep Throat says 9,000 students in city population. So those 9,000 aren't going to vote. You're looking at roughly 40,000 voters. And of those 40,000, there's kids, so that number's even less. When you took the kids out of the mix, how many legitimate voters are... And how many people are going to actually go out and vote in an off-off year? No president, no governor's race. The winner's probably going to get... Let's see what uh, 2019 Charlottesville Democratic primary. 
I'm looking at the 2019 Charlottesville Democratic primary. Let's see results. Ah. Let's see if you can find those election results. I think I might have them here. All right, this puts it in perspective. In 2019, Democratic primary, hmm. Michael Payne won the primary with 3,661 votes. Does that not scare the bejeebus out of you? 3,700 people are going to put someone on council? 25%. What's that? Oh, you're talking about the number of people? There was. I mean, they're fairly, fairly fairly even numbers for, for all the candidates, except for Bob Fenwick. Yeah, Bob Fenwick got hammered. Pinkston yeah. came in fourth, McGill third. This is the most, the 2019 Democratic primary. You ready for this? 2019 Democratic primary. Michael Payne won it 3,661 votes. Snook second, 3,506 votes. McGill third, 3,184 votes. Pinkston fourth, 3,077 votes. Fenwick got crushed, 1,228 votes. In 2019, the Democratic primary, 14,656 people voted. 14,656 total. Yeah, less than half the adults. Deep Throat says 30,000 active voters in Charlottesville. Hmm. This just became a race. Dan Pettit says he's listening to us on a beach. Which beach are you at? Good afternoon, mustache Dan Pettit. Which beach are you at, Dan? Fenwick and Oshrin in the race. The Oshrin news, Natalie, and Natalie, if I'm, if I'm messing up your last name, I apologize. She had some diversity. She had some diversity? She adds diversity. Oh, Yeah. Because it otherwise was going to be... White men. Well, Deshaun Cooper's black. Okay, yeah. Men. It was going to be all men. Mm-hmm. Does that, is that advantageous for her? I would think so. I would say clear-cut, yes. Only female on an all-male ticket? Clear-cut, yes. Yeah. If I was a betting man and I was setting odds... Let's 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 go to the the Market Street the Market Street odds makers. We are the Market Street odds makers. Who would you say is the favorite of the five? Market Street odd, odds makers, who's the favorite of the five? We should save these odds to see how right we are. Um I mean I I think i got to give it to Michael Payne again. Okay, you go Michael Payne. Um, one thing Judah highlighted, and he's 100% accurate, is never underestimate the advantage of being an incumbent and the name recognition that goes with it, especially in an off-off year, no governor's race, no president's race. Yeah. So you say Payne is the favorite of the five? I think so. I'm going to say Lloyd Snook is a slight favorite of the five. The Market Street odds makers are going to set the odds like this. Snook, a three-to-one. Three, two, one, favorite to win. Okay? Three to one. Michael Payne, four to one, favorite to win. I'm saving these numbers. I'm going to put Natalie in the third slot. I think that's fair. She's got the, she's a woman and. Uh, Fenwick's that, already lost. That sets her apart. 
She has a huge advantage being the only female on an all-male ticket. She grew up in the area. She's roughly 33, 34. She's going to rally the younger vote. And if she can inspire the female vote, she has a clear-cut advantage here. I'm going to say Natalie Ostrin is the third favorite to win. I'll give her a 9-to-1. 9-to-1 on Natalie. I had Lloyd at 3-to-1, Payne 4-to-1, Natalie 9-to-1. I'm going to go Bob Fenwick in the next slot. He's been on council before. I'm going to say Fenwick is a 12-to-1. And then I'm going to say Deshaun Cooper the fifth slot. <coughs> the problem, the why I have Deshaun Cooper in the fifth slot is I don't think a lot of people know who he is. Yeah. I would almost put him above Bob Fenwick, but you're right. He, I don't think he has enough, uh, enough recognition. <laughs> name recognition. Yeah. He didn't have enough name recognition. Mm-hmm. He, ran for, he was considering a run for delegate. Did he file for delegate? Did he not file for delegate? Then he chose not to run for delegate. Now he's running for council. Who's Deshaun Cooper? Yeah. <coughs> if Natalie Oshran and Deshaun Cooper are going to win, they're going to have to answer that question. Who's Natalie Oshran and who's Deshaun Cooper? And how can I get that answer out to thousands of people as quickly as possible? Because June and the primary are a couple months away. Yeah. I'm going to save these. If I send these to you and me, what should the subject line be so we can queue them up? Odds to win... Charlottesville City Council? Yeah, just maybe City Council odds. All right. City Council odds. All right, that's in our inbox, so we can reference it. Let's get the viewer and listener comments. Dan Pettit's at Pauly's Island. I hope you're enjoying Pauly's Island with your family, Dan Pettit, and I hope you have um, some tennis in your future. Uh, Mustache Dan Pettit, we'd love when you watch the show, my friend. Lisa Costello says the targeted communities for upzoning were not consulted. How many of these do not want their neighborhood upzoned and would vote for any opposition? So many. So many. Bob Fenwick, here's your platform. You run on a campaign or a platform that is opposed to upzoning. And you try to say little to nothing else. And you very well could get on the dais. You get donations from well-heeled, old guard Charlottesville, and you talk up zoning opposition and nothing else. And you very well could get a second term on the dais, Bobby Fenwick. You agree or disagree with that? J-Dubs. Scott Aaronworth, Virginia Beach, hello. I think well, that's a decent assessment. Hmm. Hmm. I'll reach out to Natalie. We need to get the candidates on the program so we can all get to know them. I'm dying to get to know them. I yearn for this knowledge. Devil's Backbone is nearing an opening at their uh, West Main location, Mm -hmm. the former home of Hardywood and the former home of Skipping Rock. What does Devil's Backbone have to do differently as they schedule to open next month in the Lark Building at 1000 West Main Street, the space previously of Skipping Rock Beer Company in Hardywood. What do they need to do differently than Hardywood and Skipping Rock to survive? Mm. Bob Yarbrough, this question's for you too, because I think your knowledge on tap rooms and beer 
is second to none, and I mean that as a compliment, my friend. I'm right there with you, Bobby Yarbrough. What does Devil's Backbone have to do differently? To have longevity and success and to prove that they can have success at that location, a location that Hardywood could not find success at, nor could Skipping Rock. For me, it's clear cut. I think they need to make it easier for people to get there, get in, and get back out. How are they going to do that? I don't know. You do. How are they going to fix the parking problem? They can't fix that. Well, then... And there's no parking lot there. Well, then it's going to be rough. This is what I would do if I was um, Hayes Humphrey, the CEO of Devil's Backbone. I would make sure the food at this tap room was legit. Because craft beer is high octane, especially Charlottesville's craft beer, which is very hoppy and very IPA-centric. If you do not have legitimate food at your tap room, food that can be an absorber of alcohol, I'm talking about delicious pretzels, I'm talking about doughy carbs that can absorb the booze, your, your customers can't stay there long term. My favorite beer is the Minuteman. It's a 7% beer from Three Notched. There's only so many Minuteman pints that you can drink without having a belly full of absorbers. That's one of the things that that location, Skipping Rock, and that location, Hardywood, did not do well. They did not make food legitimate or food approachable or food accessible. So people could only stay for one or two gingerbread stouts or one or two Christmas mornings or one or two great returns before leaving because they had to eat because they were getting hammered. Yeah. Have legitimate food there. Do one or two things extremely well that are absorbers that can help people booze. Todd Rath would know. He's the owner of Blue Toad Hard Cider. He says Devil's Backbone will need to have non-store food products. Cool beers by Jason Oliver as well as entertaining music and activities. The music is going to come. The trivia nights are going to come. The personal, the human connection will come. If they have legitimate food that will help people booze their high-octane beers. That's how you win at that spot. Maybe it's a joint venture with a local restaurant. Yeah. Skipping Rock was trying to do that with friend of the program, Curtis Shaver, and Peloton Station. They were trying to form some kind of joint venture of some kind where the food was going to be delivered quickly from Peloton to uh, the Skipping Rock spot. It never materialized, though. And I almost think you can discount what happened to Skipping Rock because of COVID. It was an anomaly. It was an aberration. Skipping Rock legitimately opened at arguably the worst time humanly possible. Yeah. They were having their grand opening announcement on the I Love Siebel show in late February before COVID hit. Yeah. Hayes, good food at that location will keep people staying and drinking. That eight-point IPA is high octane. Give us something to drink, to eat with it. All right, what'd you learn this show? We got a two o'clock commercial shoot. So we got to leave here in four minutes. Making TV commercials here at two o'clock. What'd you learn today? Let's see. Uh, There's a student who's making an interesting app where uh, other students can uh, can basically report 
anyone with, uh, you know, like a mental health issue or anger problems or anything, and they can do it anonymously so that, uh, um, you know, hopefully some of the things that we've seen recently, uh, especially like with the um, the murder of the three students on, on grounds, uh, somebody could report a person through this SafeLine app and uh, potentially stop a, a tragedy. There you go. Better communication method at times of tragedy is always welcome. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Bill McChesney, the majority of people would vote against upzoning. A majority of people would have voted against the removal of the statues. If that had happened then, August 12, 2017 would not have happened. August 12 wouldn't have ha- would not have happened if Fenwick had not changed his vote of abstention. Some truth to that. Some truth to that. I think, the up- I think there are more people. Mr. McChesney, I appreciate that comment, and you are very knowledgeable, sir. You have a great rest of your day as well, Dan Pettit. I think there are more people that are opposed to upzoning than there were folks who wanted the statues and the parks. The removal of the statues, keeping them or removing them, was a contentious issue. But the upzoning, there's more people that are opposed to upzoning than there were people that wanted the statues staying in the parks. The upzoning is clear-cut majority one upzoning opposition. That's why we're seeing Snook adjust his word choice when it comes to this. Hmm. All right, that's the talk show. Two o'clock commercial shoot. The show is presented by Scott Wagner of Scott Wagner Integrated Medicine. And if you're watching this program, I very much encourage you to have dinner at the Clifton. Special. The staff is spectacular. The service is top flight. And the food is created by a world-class chef, the Clifton in Keswick. Thank you kindly for joining us. So long, everybody.